tonight we are going to finish our series on Eliza, right? And we've been through 1st Kings 17, we've been through 1st Kings 18, so guess where we're tonight? 19! 19. 19 we in college, we can count, okay. Um, so yeah, we're going to look at 1st Kings chapter 19, and I think originally in this whole series when I was planning on teaching, this was the one that I was like, are we, are we sure, guys? Like, are we, I'm sure we're going we're gonna to talk through this because um, it's just kind of an interesting story at the beginning. Um, but then after a breakaway, it totally made sense to me um, because at this point, you guys, in Elijah's journey, in chapter 17, we've seen him be fed by birds in the wilderness, right? We've seen God miraculously provide for him and the widow and her son and their household. And then the son dies, and he prays to God, and the son is raised back to life. So we see this great miracle, right? In chapter 18, we see Elijah have this contest against all the prophets of Baal, right? And God wins, right? It's between God and the false gods, and um, God wins. And then we think, like right after this, because this picks up right after this, we think, like, man, God won. These 450 prophets of Baal, they went down. When they didn't win, the people have allowed to kill them, so they're not even there anymore, right? So, like, surely God is in control of his people now. God is being glorified. We're expecting, like, a national revival, right? Anybody with me? Like, that's what we expect to happen. But then when we get to the text, that's not what happens. Uh, so we're going to look at it. Start in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. It says, when Ahab, remember he's the king, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, who's his wife, everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Y'all got real, Right? She's not repenting. She's not saying, the God of Israel, he's the true God. Nah. Girl's like, coming for him to kill him. Um, she says, may God strike me, may the God strike me, even kill me. By this time tomorrow, I've not killed you just as you killed them. So she is angry. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now, it's emphasizing that he's alone because it tells us it's a solitary broom tree. It's not, he's not under a broom tree. It's like really emphasizing this aloneness. And he prays that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. So you guys, we see Elijah, and he is at the pits of despair. Instead of, after this victory, being excited, right? Instead of this, what people do when they win the Super Bowl. We saw the Super Bowl, right? And, like, there's this famous quote from after the Super Bowl. I'm going to Disney World, right? I'm going to Disneyland. Is Elijah going to Disneyland? No. No, Jezebel says that she's, she's after him. She's going to make sure he gets killed. And he gets afraid and he runs away. And so he sits down under this broom tree and he prays to die. 
Then he lay down under the broom tree, and as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he prayed to die, and he wakes up, and there's food. Kind of the opposite there. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or your journey will be too much for you. So he got up, and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So while we might expect him to be celebrating, right, or maybe pastoring this national revival, we're like, this is going to be a move of God, right? God didn't conquer the prophets of Baal. God's going to do something. Instead, Jezebel, like, reads out these threats. He doesn't consult the Lord, which is probably where, like, this, the spiral of, like, getting to where he prays to die, we'd call that depression, Okay. That's um, probably where it starts. He doesn't say, Hey, God, Jezebel wants to kill me. What should I do? He just panics and runs. Right? And I think, um, as we were talking about in the weeks before, we looked at the verse in James chapter 5. It says, Elijah was a man like us. Right? And up until this point, Elijah has been an incredibly phenomenal, like super godly, doing the God things man. <laughs> and at this point, Elijah becomes a normal man. Right? Somebody wants to kill him, he runs away, he kind of spirals into depression, and he prays to die. Um, but God meets him there. See, in verse 3, Elijah experienced the depths of fatigue and discouragement just after his two great spiritual victories, the defeat of the prophets of Baal, and then his answered prayer for rain after the drought. Often discouragement sets in right after great spiritual experiences. <laughs> especially those that require physical effort or involve great emotion. And guys, this is why I was like, this is kind of timely. Right after last weekend, a lot of us, we had a, a whole weekend spending time with God, right? Now, it didn't have to be physically exhausting, but if you stayed up till four in the morning every night, it was physically exhausting, right? And, and it was emotional. God did things in our lives. Some of us, we were in the altar and we felt the presence of God and we, we would weep or we would cry or... Or God would do something in our life, and it's okay to have an emotional response to that, right? But sometimes after that, we come off of it, and then we're like, I'm down. You know, what is that? Um, and we see Elijah, and he's, he's in this kind of discouraged place. So to lead him out of depression, God first led Elijah to rest and to eat. To rest and to eat. You guys... That doesn't sound very spiritual, right? To rest and to eat. But some of the best advice I ever got, Matt and I, we were at a SALT conference. Some of you guys have been to SALT, right? Um, we were at a SALT conference. The same guy that spoke to, to us at this SALT, he spoke at that SALT way back then, right? Because we're all super old. Um, but Kurt Harlow, he said this. He said, the most spiritual thing you can do after getting away with God and God doing lots of things in your life is to crawl under 10 quilts and go to sleep. Because you are so tired, and you're so emotionally drained, and you're so exhausted that if you do not rest, you're going to kind of like spiral into just depression and discouragement. Because even though God's done something in you, you know, we're still in the process. We're in the process, so we meet Jesus face to face. So it's time to rest and eat, right? If you've not eaten, and you're starting to feel crazy, go get some food, right? 
before, before you decide that you're having a nervous breakdown, eat, right? Eat some food. Um, and, and those are really practical, but if we're not taking care of our body, like our, our spirit's not going to react right either because um, we're a whole person. So God first let Elijah to rest and eat. Then God confronted him with the need to return to his mission, to speak God's word in Israel. And Elijah battles, Elijah's battles weren't over, right? He still had work to do. So Elijah, he runs, he sits down under the street, he prays to die. And God's like, uh-uh, I've still got things for you to do, man. And he did. He still had things for him to do. But God didn't start there, right? He starts with letting him rest. He starts with letting him eat. And then God speaks to him later, as we'll see. So what caused Elijah's depression, right? We talked about it a little bit. But the first thing is, Elijah was drained. Physically, okay, y'all, we're drained after, like, breakaway. Physically, this dude had been on the run for three years, right? This three-and-a-half-year drought. At the beginning of 1 Kings 17, we read when the drought starts. In the end of 18, we read when the drought ends and for us that's two chapters but for him this was three years he's been on the run he's been living by God's miraculous provision and I don't know if you guys have ever been in a place where you're like you're trusting God by faith to take care of you but man it's it's kind of exhausting because every day it's like Lord I trust you're going to provide not like I know when I swipe this card I've got plenty right but I trust that you're going to provide those are different and it can be kind of um, taxing on us he had traveled over 300 miles in this three-year span. If you were to get out your Bible map and you were to trace it, which sometimes it's okay to do, might sound like really silly, but sometimes when you open the map and like look at where these things took place, you're like, that's a whole other side of everything. Um, but when we read it, we just turn the page so it didn't seem far, right? <laughs> it's real close for me from page 82 to 83, but like for him, right, it's 300 miles and so he was physically exhausted like this man is like tired tired right but what we can learn from that for ourselves is when we are physically tired we're spiritually vulnerable right when your body is tired spiritually you become vulnerable right like you don't have to raise your hand or anything but but we can probably all attest to the fact that like if you stay up too late and it is the middle of the night you don't make the best choices Right? And, and sometimes in life, you find yourself in trouble because you made a bad choice. I've done it plenty of times because I stay up too late. Right? And never at the end of making that bad choice, you go talk to your mom or your dad about it. And they're like, how did you get there? Are you like, well, I woke up after a nice eight-hour rest. <laughs> That's not what happens, is it? No, it's like, I hadn't slept. I've been staying for all nighter. The next day happens. And I thought, like, yeah, we're just going to go spray paint all over town. And, and it's like, had I slept, I would have realized, stupid idea, right? But, but like, that happened once. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> right? But, but we have to stop. We have to, we have to rest. If we don't rest, like, we become vulnerable to, like, a dumb decision. But also, spiritually, we become vulnerable. Because we're just not at our best. Like, our mind's not processing on all cylinders. Our heart's not processing on all cylinders. Nothing is, right? Carly Sue, crawl up in the bed under the tin quilt. So he's physically drained. Emotionally, he's drained. We can imagine that he was let down after the showdown at Mount Carmel because he probably hoped 
this is going to be the change, right? Like, the prophets of Baal, they called on fire from heaven. It didn't come. And they did it all day. We talked about that last week. And then he said one 30-second prayer, God of Israel answers with fire on the altar. And he surely thought, like, man, the people saw this. Like, things are going to change, and they didn't. Right? And so emotionally, he's probably a little bit like, okay, God, you had me, but, like, where's the rest of it? Right? Anybody ever been there? Where it's like, God did the thing, but you're like, you thought there was going to be more. And he just kind of stopped in the middle from our perspective, right? And, and he's, he's probably in this place. I imagine if I was Elijah, that's where I'd be. And so that gives us not only more physically tired are we spiritually vulnerable, but we're vulnerable after victory, right? Right after God has done something, right after in life we've been victorious, we become very vulnerable because we like victory, right? Everybody like it when it goes right? We like victory, right? And so we're like, let's just keep on having victory. And we forget that this life is a battle, that it's, it's battle after battle after battle to continue to know God until we see him face to face. Now, when you get to heaven, you seek Jesus Christ face to face. No more battles. Okay, but until then, we're fighting the battles. <laughs> um, and so it's one after another. But man, we want the victories, right? We're like, I just want to live in victory. I'll just stay here in this victory. And so it's kind of a, we get discouraged when we have to come down off that victory into real life. So he's physically drained. He's emotionally drained. He's spiritually drained. When we do things for God, we become the object of spiritual attack. Because the devil's real. The enemy's real, right? So if you go do a thing for God, like you go out on campus, Hope, and you share the gospel with people, does that make the enemy happy? No. And try it. You lead one to Christ, that makes the enemy happy? Definitely not, right? And it's like, so the next day your tire's flat or something? And, uh, and sometimes I'm like, God, how could this happen? You know? And uh, I like what Pastor Anthony said at Breakway. He said, his baby girl had a fever. For the first time in her life, she's never had a fever. She's three years old. But he came to speak that weekend, and his baby girl had a fever. And instead of being like, God, why'd you have her have a fever? He's like, man, I think God wants to do something. Because the enemy wouldn't be throwing opposition on this kid that's never had a fever in her whole life. Unless he was upset, because we know something's up. Right? And so sometimes we've had a victory, but spiritually we have to know that like we need to pray. We need to be in the Word. We need to stay strong because the enemy is going to come and fight that, right? Um, fight that in our thought life. We'll fight it with circumstances. But Elijah's had a great victory, and so he's, he's spiritually vulnerable because the enemy's going to attack. On top of being drained, he's disappointed. And we kind of talked about that, right? Um, but we, we feel that sometimes. We're like, God's been doing something, and then we want him... We want to go one step further in our head. We're like, we're there. And it doesn't happen. We become disappointed. Right? And he was isolated. This isn't really something we highlighted as we were going through chapter 17, chapter 18. Now we're in chapter 19. Most of the time, do we see Elijah with a bunch of friends? No. He's alone. He's alone. And um, so through all of this, we see Elijah, and he's virtually alone. When we hear he has a servant, he leaves the servant somewhere, right? So now he's alone again. Um, or he's, like, wandering in the wilderness being fed by birds, and then he, like, stays with a widow for a little while. But, I mean, he's virtually alone through this whole three years, on the run, being miraculously provided for. And if he's a man like us, we know he needs community. 
right? That's one of the beautiful things about Kyle. That's one of the beautiful things about church. It's like we plug in and have community because we were not built as human beings to do this thing on our own. We were built to be in community and surrounded by other people because we strengthen each other. We encourage each other, right? They didn't have a friend to be like, hey, God's in control. He's got this. He's off alone in the wilderness again. So he's isolated. And then the last thing is he starts to, in this exhaustion, right, in this disappointment, in this isolation, he starts to believe self-truths. Um, because as we're going to read on, like he keeps telling the Lord, and we've heard this before, so we don't have to read it yet. He keeps telling the Lord, I'm the only one. Right? Is that true? No. No, we read last week, he wasn't the only one. Right? Because Obadiah hid some prophets in a cave. He, 50 in one and 50 in the other. Okay, so Elijah's not the only one. We at least got Obadiah and a hundred other prophets that follow the God of Israel, right? He's not alone, but he starts to believe it. And you guys, I think this is the way that the enemy attacks us, probably more than flat tires or hard circumstances or somebody being moody, you know, because, you know, you come off like a spiritual victory and it's like the next friend you see, like, man, they're having a bad day. Never fails. But, but even more than that, is the enemy comes at us with depression and discouragement, and it comes through, like, this disillusionment in our self-talk, right? Because we're vulnerable. We start to think half-truths. Man, can he whisper, right? Can, like, the enemy whisper in your ear and just a thought? And, like, so just to be super real, I'll share this with you guys. Because um, I didn't share it last week, so I was, like, going to cry because I was, like, in the moment. Um, but last week, right before Kyle started Thursday night, um, I found out that my godmom passed away. Godfather called, he, he told me this, and it kind of like whooshed me. This is Lily, Lily Owen's word. She's like, life sometimes whooshes you, right? Where it's like something happens, and it's so much that like you don't even react because it's just, and it blindsides you, right? So it kind of whooshed me, but then we have all these kids. They're fantastic. Our middle one is doing the most. And she's in a play, and she's in ballet, and she's in jazz, and it all happens on Thursdays. And so Matt was being an awesome dad while we're over here at worship practice, driving her place to place to place. He didn't get here. So I couldn't communicate, like, man, I just got some really bad news. I want to go sit in a corner and cry. <laughs> um, and I'd really rather not speak tonight, <laughs> right? That didn't happen. And so he gets here. It's already started. So I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll, we'll just, we'll just happen. God, you know, you're strong. You got me. Um, and then we get home Friday night, and man, you guys, like, I love music, love worship. I hate when people make you do it last minute, right? And, and so we're talking, and she's like, you need to have somebody else, like, fill in for worship. I'm like, man, our students are excited. I don't want to take it away from them. I don't really want to throw it at anybody else. Like, hey, I'm going to need you to leave worship for an entire weekend tomorrow. Um, yeah, like, it seems kind of unfair. So I was like, no, we'll just trust the Lord. But in the process of that, and just like, not getting to stop and rest and eat, right, and deal with my own. Like, we get there, and, and like, Friday night, um, man, Jade's, like, the best friend ever, because she was just, like, deal with me. Being, and I was, I was kind of low, um, right? But, but we get there, and I'm, and I'm low, and at some point, it's, like, emotionally, I just shut down. Like, which is... It's kind of normal. You're dealing with grief. Sometimes you just, like, if you try and keep going, you just kind of go blank. But it was like, I didn't feel anything. And um, 
the enemy just kind of started, like, we're up there playing, and he's like, just in my thoughts, well, you're not worshiping God. You're not, you're not being real. Like, you don't even feel anything. Who are you to stand up here and sing these songs when you don't even feel anything and tell these people to worship Jesus? And, like, you guys, that got in my head. You know, I'm like, okay, am I being a, am I, am I a hypocrite? Am I, am I do like, just going through the motions or what? And I really started processing with that, that with the Lord. And then um, Saturday morning happened, praise the Lord for morning. They're blurry and you're tired and God is good. So, like, I think I was still kind of emotionally numb, but it wasn't really that. But then, like, Saturday night, I'm feeling the same way. And as Matt to pray, I was like, man, I don't feel anything. And I, like, I don't know what's wrong, but also, like, I feel like it's wrong that I don't feel anything or something. And as we, we were worshiping, we're standing up there. See all this, like, ugly cry in front of everybody. It's so great. Um, only in Kyle can you do that and no one cares, right? So Jay's up there singing how he loves him. I'm like, he loves me. Um, and I just, like, I mean, it was, it was ugly. I kind of, like, turned around and was playing the guitar because I'm like, nobody needs to see you. <laughs> this full range of emotion because I went from, like, numb to feeling all the feels, like, all in the course of this one minute. And, I mean, praise the Lord, it's not in a video. Um, but what happened in that moment is this. Is I had been praying about it. I have prayed about it Friday night, prayed about it Saturday, all through the day, asking the Lord. And then I was just telling the Lord, like, God, I love you. I want to worship you. I don't feel anything, but I'm not trying to be insincere, but I need your help. And, um, and like, in that moment, as she was singing, I just felt like the Holy Spirit really gently whispered that, like, he accepted that worship. Because I was doing my best. You know? And, like, circumstantially, you can't control when people pass away. Right? Anybody in control of that? I'm not. You can't control that. Right? And you can't control your circumstances. But I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like, you're here, and you're giving the best you have. And, like, yeah, it's not my personal best. Which, like, like I know my personal best. That wasn't it. Okay. But in my moment, it was. Like, in that moment, it was. And I was like, I, I accept it. I hear you. And, um, and it was, like, so sweet to me. Then I had all the feelings. And so, like, we finished. And I was, like, bald in his arms. And I'm sure, like, our sound guy was, like, what is even happening? Because I'm just, like, Ugh. Um, But my kids, like, they just ignored it. Because they're, like, that's mom. But, but I share that, A, to be real. But B, to, be, to, to kind of explain it, it's, like, the enemy can so subtly, even when you're doing something for the Lord, just start to whisper those lies and those half-truths. Like, yeah, it wasn't my personal best, but does that mean that, like, God didn't see me in my situation and understand what I was going through and still accept my worship? No, he still accepted my worship, right? But it's like that little, it just, the enemy twisted it, and like, man, it got in my head. And so, like, sometimes we're tired, we're emotional, we're vulnerable, and we have to be aware of that, and we see that with Elijah. He's like, I'm the only one left. It's like, no, you're alone because you keep isolating yourself. But, like, you're not the only one left. There's other people that follow God. You just need to meet them, um, go spend time with them. But Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a, like, really great theologian. He says this. We spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. He says we spend too much time listening to ourselves, saying, like, Ooh, how do I feel today? And what do I feel like doing? And, like, am I into this today? Which, like, y'all, isn't that, like, all of us and all of culture? It's like, just do what you feel. 
is not good advice. That is terrible advice. Um, but we spend way too much time listening to ourselves and not talking to ourselves, sharing the truth. And you know, the really cool thing about that story is like every time we sing a worship song, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I didn't feel anything, but I was reminding myself over and over and over and over who God is, right? And so I feel like God's really good. See, I'm in a place where I'm like, we keep saying it. Like eventually it's, it's going to get in, even to my stubborn head. Um, but so we need to, in those moments of depression, talk to ourselves, remind ourselves who God is, right? What truth is. Look at scripture. Spend time in prayer. Because those are, we talk to ourselves, right, about who God is. Then we'll stop listening to ourselves about, oh, I feel like this, and I, I don't know how to get over this, and like, how's God going to provide in this situation anyways? Man, you start talking to yourself like that, like, you could just spiral. So you be like, spiral back up? No. Start quoting scripture. Start reminding yourself the truth of who God is. So we need to trust Christ in the midst of feeling pressed. So you guys, in verse 8, when it says Elijah fled to Sinai, this was over 200 miles. And like I was talking about the map, I got it out this morning, I was looking at it. And it's like, he leaves Carmel, there's not a map up there, sorry, I didn't have time to get one. He leaves Carmel and he goes down, he drops off his, his servant, goes down a little bit more, and he goes all the way down. And Sinai is like all the way down, right across from Egypt, where they crossed into the Promised Land in Exodus. Okay, This is where the, the people of God in Exodus met with God on the mountain, and, and like there's, there's the fire and the storm, Jesus, or not Jesus, Moses says, show me your glory, right? And the Ten Commandments happen, and they're given to him, like, this is, this is the same mountain that we're talking about. But it says, Elijah fled to Sinai, and this is over 200 miles away. And to me, this is just, like, one of those details that really jumps out to me. Because a lot of times, I've heard this passage taught, and they're like, Elijah got depressed. So we got there, okay, you know, he got depressed, yes. And, and it, then God met Elijah in his depression, yes. But there's this little, this little nugget in the middle that I feel like gets left out. This really jumps out to me. If you travel over 200 miles just to go to a sacred place to meet with God, does it maybe show that, like, you have a desperation to meet with God, but you're seeking after God, right? This man, eats, he sleeps. He eats two meals that are, like, heavily provided again. I need the Elijah meal. But, like, <laughs> he, he eats these two meals, and then for 40 days and 40 nights, he travels all the way down this mountain because he knows that that's a sacred place where God met with his people. Right? And um, when I read that, it just makes me think, when was the last time that I was so desperate to meet with God? That I was that desperate to meet with God that I would do anything, that I would travel anywhere just to get to him. Yes, Elijah's exhausted. Yes, he's depressed and even disillusioned. But he goes the distance to meet with God, and he pursues his presence. Right? He is after the presence of God. And I think when we find ourselves in a place like Elijah, we must seek the Lord. Seek him even when he feels really far away. Be desperate to meet with him and trust that he will be faithful to find us and meet us as we seek him out. Right? So I think Elijah is depressed, he is discouraged, but he goes the right places, right? And maybe he wallows for a minute, he's like, he prays to die, right? But God doesn't leave him there, and when God doesn't leave him there, he's like, okay, God, I'm going to go find you, right? And he takes his depression to the right place. And I think that's so important, because when we're down, like, man, we could stay down, or we could turn around and be like, God, I'm going to find you, 
even in the midst of this. So we're going to read on, verse 10. So he gets to the mountain. It says, But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. There it is. The only one left. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So you guys see, he's saying this to himself. Like a lot. Um, probably been saying it for 40 days. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came. It's far. <laughs> we got that. And travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Right? So God meets with them, and I think... This whole, I've heard many, y'all, many, many sermons, messages, teachings on God's not in the wind, and he's not in the earthquake, and he's not in the fire, but he's in the still small voice. So here's the whole message that I think we get from that. Is Elijah needed to know that God wasn't just in the fire, right? He had seen God do these huge, miraculous things. He's seen God raise the dead. He's seen God stop the rain and send the rain and send fire from heaven. We also need to know that God's like this personal God. We'll come whisper and talk to him. Um, so lonely and discouraged, Elijah forgot that others had remained faithful during the nation's wickedness. And that should tell us that when we're tempted to think that we're the only one that's faithful to the task God has given us, that we shouldn't stop and feel sorry for ourselves, right? There's moments. There's moments that feels like Jesus, I'm the only one in this class that loves you. I mean, it happens, right? And we think, like, Jesus, nobody on this campus is following you, right? And, and we may not think it right, near, right now, Thursday night in Kyle but then, like, we leave and we go out and we have Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday, and maybe we're in our dorm and we're feeling real isolated. In those moments, it can feel like, Jesus, I'm the only one on this campus that loves you, Right? then those moments we need to not let that self-pity come in because it will dilute the good we're doing. And we need to realize that even if we don't know who they are, there's others that are faithful to obeying God. Right? He's faithful. He's got people. And he's got a plan, and he's working. Like we saying, even when we don't see it, you're working, right? Even when we don't feel it, you're working. God's working. 
And so we need to trust that moment, those moments. So God is gracious to Elijah. We already saw God gave him bread, right? And so in the wilderness, God's first response to him, it's not a rebuke, right? Elijah gets really discouraged. He runs away. He's depressed. God's not like, what are you doing? Get up. No. He gives him food. And the first thing he says is eat. So instead of death, God gives him cake. Does that sound pretty good? Like, in, instead of answering his prayer for death, God gives him a cake. I, I feel like in the moment, that might have been a little humorous. But at the same time, it's like, isn't that kind of just so sweet of the Lord? He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that, but I'm, I'm going to give you some food. I'm going to get you in a better place. And that reminds us of something that Jesus said in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, because I am gentle. Right? So Jesus, point blank, invites us as his followers to come to him when we're weary and we're tired, and he's going to give us rest and be gentle. Right? He's not going to be angry. He's not going to be harsh. He's going to be gentle, and he's going to meet us there. So when we feel like this and we need rest, we can rest in Christ and who he is. So God gives Elijah bread, right? He gives him cake. God spoke to Elijah on the mountain. And this reminds us of God's quiet ways, right? God can do things in like big, crazy, explosive revival ways. But usually God works in quiet ways. God's giving him rest and refreshment in the midst of pain and distress and fear. And the third thing, after bread and speaking to Elijah, God gives him a vision for the future. Right? And in this, God shows his mercy because he's giving Elijah a very clear new vision for the future. And a lot of times we need fresh vision when we're down to get us up and going. So God gives him an assignment and he's going to anoint these three guys, right? And what's this about? Well, if you read on, which we're not going to read all the chapters, right? But if you were to read on in 1 Kings and then into 2 Kings and look at it in 1 and 2 Chronicles, ultimately the victory over Baal worship and this idolatry in Israel isn't going to come through like one prayer and fire from heaven, but it's going to come through a slow political process that starts with these three guys, these kings, and they're eventually going to, like, wipe out the people that are instituting this Baal worship. Like, God's going to use this king of Aram to execute judgment on the kings that are wicked in Israel and participating in Baal worship. And so God's still on the move. It just doesn't look the way Elijah thought it should look, right? But God's moving. So he gives him a vision. He's like, I'm still, we're still doing the same thing. We're still combating Baal worship in Israel, Right? It's just, it's not going to look the way he expected it to look. So Elijah's job wasn't just to fight well. Oh, and then he tells him he's going to anoint Elisha. This is where it gets really confusing because we've got the Jah and the Shah. Okay. Elijah is the guy we've been talking about. Elisha is the guy that comes after him, right? But Elijah's job wasn't just to fight well in the present, but to prepare others for the future. And sometimes we get stuck there. Right? We're fighting and we're doing everything we can right now, but we've not prepared the next generation. And I think that's something we think about a lot in Kyle because we only get y'all for four years. Maybe, maybe five, if we're lucky. Right? 
You might not be so lucky. Because nice. um, that means you did more years. <laughs> but, but we only get you guys for like four or five years. And so it's, in Kayak, one of those things we're constantly, at least as leaders, thinking about we need to be raising up more people and raising up more people. Because if we don't raise up more students, do you know what happens to Kyle in four years? It goes extinct. It doesn't exist anymore, and we got to start it all over. So we're, that's kind of something we keep before us. But I think outside of Kyle, this is a spiritual principle for all of life as believers, is that we're not just fighting the battles we're in in the present, but we're preparing others for the future. Man, we see this in families. Like you have a kid, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, like I'm, I'm impacting the future you know, of this person's life, and I need to like prepare them for it. And, and, like, we see this, like, in church, man, never, ever, ever is God going to call you to a place in a church to serve, and you're going to do it till you die, and then it's done. Right? Like, even if you do it for a really, really long time, you should be training others. We should always be multiplying ourselves into others. Whatever it is that God's given us that we're gifted or talented or good at, um, we need to prepare for others for the future. And so God gives Elijah this assignment and gives him something to do to get him going. And they also gives him assurance. He says, there's 7,000 others. Elijah says, I'm the only one. Or he says, no. One times 7,000. There's more. Um, but he reminds him that he's not the only one who's still serving God. He's not alone. So then we see Elijah get his community here in the last three verses. And then we've got three verses, we're done. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. It says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing in a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Elijah left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said, First, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go back with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So, so he anoints him, and he's like, okay, go stay by to your family, but think about this. It says, so Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat of the town, to the townspeople, and they all ate it. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Um, so you guys, this is big. God speaks to Elijah, gives him a task, and, and we see him... It appears he immediately obeys. He, God gives him a companion in Elijah. And I think that's why he tells him to go now. Elijah, not only does he need a mentor to take his place, like he needs a mentor because he needs, or he needs to mentor because he needs a friend, right? And so what happens here is this cloak in the ancient Near East culture, it was important. It was possibly the most important thing somebody owned. Anybody own anything like really important? Like, think of the, the coolest thing you own, the best thing you own, most important thing you own. What's the most important thing you own? Yes, yeah. it's her engagement. I was like, she's going to be like, my ring, right? But this is possibly the most important thing that somebody owned in this time. So he throws it over Elisha, and it's important because it was used to protect from the weather. It could be used as a bed, it could be used as a place to sit. It was even used as luggage. If you were traveling, you'd wrap your stuff up in your cloak. Right? So this is really important. Um, but when he threw it on Elisha, it symbolizes the fact that Elisha would become his successor. 
And Elisha would have understood this. That's why he's like, first let me go say bye. Um, and then later, if you if you read on in 2 Kings 2, when Elijah is taken up in the whirlwind, he leaves his cloak for Elisha. And so it's like the mantle literally gets passed. Um, but we can see that Elisha abandons all. Because let's read verse 21 again. It says, so Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh, and he passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate it. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So by killing these oxen, Elisha shows that he has a strong commitment to follow God, right? Like, this shows a strong commitment. He's not going back, right? And to have 12 teams of oxen in this time, like, he was wealthy. He was making a living, and he kills the oxen, right? And then he cuts up the plow, and he burns it. So he's really not going back. Um... So without his oxen and his plow, he could not return to his life as a wealthy farmer. And this meal was more than a feast among friends. It was an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for his calling Elisha to be his prophet. And in this we see Elisha's total abandonment of all things for God's will. Right? He gives up everything. Like, he just, he's like, I'm done. Not only does he kiss his family goodbye, but he kisses his stuff and his livelihood. And like... That was what he was probably going to live on for the rest of his life. He's got these oxen, he's going to plow, he's going to work this field, and he gives it all up when God calls him. What's even more interesting is it seems like he's throwing a party to declare this. Like, he doesn't just sacrifice the oxen and cut the plow. He calls the whole town, and he's like, let's all eat together and have a big party. And I think what's so neat about this is because in this, we see he's excited. Like, he's like, God called me to do a thing, and he's throwing a party. And I think that's pretty cool, right? I think that would be pretty cool if when God calls us, when he starts to put something on our heart, we're like, man, I'm excited. And we meet those callings with excitement. Um, he's not reluctant. And this is super a picture of somebody saying, like, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Right? He's like, forget that. Like, man, I had it made, but it's going to be even better doing this thing that God's calling me to. Um, So just as Elisha abandoned all to follow God's call to be his prophet, there's some of us who need to be willing to abandon all for what God's calling us to do. This could be missions, right? could be a call to ministry. could be a call to the marketplace, like to a regular job, because there's lost people there, right? Um, It could be a call to be willing to get rid of those things that are keeping us from following God's will in our lives, right? But I think, um, as I was praying about tonight, that the Lord was just showing me that there's going to be some that, like, we need to pray and we need to be willing to get rid of those things that are keeping us from fulfilling God's call. And here's the thing about Elisha, right? Over the weekend, those that were there, we talked about, like, getting rid of sin, getting rid of things that distract us. Yes, get rid of sin, sin and get rid of things that distract you. But, like, was a plow and a job, was that sin? No, it just wasn't God's best, right? It just wasn't God's best. So sometimes we have to get rid of distractions and sin. And, like, if God's put his finger on that when we pray, like, man, pray and give that to the Lord. But sometimes we just have to get get rid of the good because we know God's calling us to better. You know, and, and so sometimes the Lord's like, hey, I don't want you to do this anymore. I don't want you to to be in this relationship anymore. I don't want you to work at this job anymore. 
And it's not necessarily because you did anything wrong. You just know he's calling you to better, right? And so we have to be willing to listen to him and follow his call in those moments. Um, so if there's something that God is, like, putting on your heart, we just want to pray and be willing to lay it down, get rid of it. And, uh, and y'all, if the Lord's calling you to get rid of something, especially with sin, get rid of it with an intensity like Eliza that you can't return to, right? This is going to be, like, the funniest example because y'all are young. Okay. But back in the day, right? Back in the day, our music was on these little discs called CDs. I know y'all know what a CD is. Right? And like, looking back, there, there are times that we joke and we laugh about this, right? But like, our music was on, on CDs. And so, like, mass amounts of kids in our youth group would come to Christ, right? And they would have all of this ungodly music. And now, like, today, you just hit, like, delete. <laughs> right? And I guess you could go all the way into iTunes and, like, completely delete it so you can't, like, get it back without paying. That would probably, like, hinder you a lot more than just getting off your phone. Just an idea if God's putting that on your heart. Um, right? But, like, they would, like, break their CDs. And they would, like, but it was one of those, like, I can't go back. You know, and then um, at some point somebody was like, why didn't you sell them to like a UCD place and use the money for missions? I don't know. We <laughs> so we smashed them. Like, we, were, we were destroying things. Um, you know, but like, like, that was a good idea. We weren't that smart. Right? We weren't that smart. But, but like, I really, like, reflecting on it, it's funny but but it was like such a tangible that it was just one of those like I don't want I don't want the things of the world anymore, you know. And and like we break the CDs, we have a good old time doing it. Kind of like I remember like some friends, and I had a friend like man, she broke up with a boyfriend. It's a horrible relationship. It was abusive, right? And she had all these love letters. They weren't they weren't good. <laughs> there were letters from him in a box. And like y'all, we got a metal trash can. We burned that. We we're like we were doing it. You know, we're not pulling out that box, and we're not going to, like, a year later, like, reminisce and be like, oh, well, it was kind of nice to have somebody. No, like, we got rid of it. Um, and, and, like, I think it's very interesting because it's like, those were so tangible. And sometimes it's funny, and sometimes we're like, hey, you remember when we used to, right? And, and now it's like, so much is digital that it's like, yeah, if God convicts you about, like, music or movies, like, you just delete it, right? Or like, I don't know, ignore that Netflix exists. But, you know, like, like I think you have to, like, do the extra step of, like, figuring out how you're not going to return to it, right? Back in the day, we just burned the thing. Like, it's gone now. If it's a real book and it's, and it's sinful, like, it's gone. Um, you know, if it's digital, like, man, you got to, like, do the extra step. But I think you can do that same you can do that same work and, and realize, like, how am I really going to get rid of this stuff so I don't return to it, you know? And um, so I just want to take a few minutes to pray. And um, we're going to pray for three things. One is, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you want one. Okay? That's important. And, and so we'd love to pray for that. The, the second one is, if, if you're feeling down, right? Because we, we just want to pray that God will, like, meet you in that. You may not feel down. And the third one is, if the Lord's put, a, like, his finger on something, you need to lay down or get rid of so that you can follow him better. It might be sin. It might be good. 
this, if you feel like God has better, we're going to pray. We're not going to ask you to like, I'll pray for you. Um, but I think for any of those, like if you're dealing with them and you want to talk to somebody, right? Or you like come to Christ and you're like, hey, I mean, we want to celebrate with you. If you come to Christ, accept him as your Savior, right? But it's like, let me or Matt know. Like, we'd love to meet with you and, like, talk you through it. Because, like, yeah, we have these moments where, like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm not going to struggle with this anymore. But it's, like, it's good to have a buddy to kind of, like, follow up on you in that process. And it's, like, if you're feeling depressed, it's good to have a buddy that, like, calls you every every few days. It's like, hey, how's today? Right? And just, because what do we learn? We need community. Right? Um, so let's pray. You guys are valuable. Um, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. And God, we thank you that your word is relevant. That sometimes we read about you doing crazy, huge, miraculous things. And sometimes we just read about you meeting a guy in the wilderness who's down and depressed. And God, that your word really applies to every situation in our lives. Lord, we just thank you for that. God, just pray that you would have your way in these next few minutes. In the name of Jesus. So your head's still bowed. Is there anybody here that says, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, you just your hand up. Okay. Is there anybody that would say, I'm dealing with depression? Is there anybody else that would say um, that the Lord just put things on your heart and you need to sit down? Cool. All right, God, you see. God, you see these hands. And Lord, I pray um, for these students, God, I pray that you would help them to know you, to continue to grow in you and walk with you, Jesus. And God, I pray for those hands, Lord, you saw that are dealing with depression or dealing with being down. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would meet them as you met Elijah in the wilderness, Lord God, that you would come to them, that you would speak to them, God, that you would deal with them graciously and compassionately. Lord, in those moments that they feel like, I don't want to be here, God, that you would give them rest and encouragement and nourishment. And God, that you would lift them out of that. And Lord, I pray for those that are dealing with things in their heart that, Lord, you're putting your finger on for them to get rid of or lay down. In the name of Jesus, God, would you enable them now, from tonight, to be able to walk away. Lord, from tonight, to be able to put those things down. Lord, from tonight, to turn away from that sin. And from tonight, to choose your best, Lord God. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.